Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Thank you so much, Wesley, for that song. That was one of my favorites. That was third day, am I right? Or is that Casting Crowns? I don't believe you. But all right. <laughs> Might have been Matt, Matt, Matt Redman. You're the worship director. <clears throat> yeah, that was one of my favorites growing up. <laughs> John chapter 12. Beginning in verse 20. If you're there, say word. Let's go ahead and stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Just going to read seven verses, 20 to 26. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for... Your word in this time that we get to come together to worship you. God, I pray that you will use me as you see fit. Add a blessing upon us in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So for a little over a year now, we've been going through the Gospel of John. Um I thought about speed, speeding up a little bit this year and maybe trying to end in the fall of 2019. But then after I continued studying the, the book a little more, I decided not to speed up. As you've noticed, we're doing seven verses this morning. And uh, so maybe we'll get done in John by 2025. But, <laughs> but as we've come to this passage, the last time I was up here two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Leto filled in last Sunday and did a fantastic job. Uh, but two weeks ago, we looked at the triumphal entry of Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. As, uh, as he is making his entry in there, people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're excited. The King has come. The Messiah has stepped in. But they didn't see Jesus, how Jesus was supposed to be seen. They saw Jesus as a king who is hopefully going to rescue them from Roman rule. Like how Moses rescued the Egyptian or uh, the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't step into Jerusalem to be crowned as king to take down Rome. He stepped into Jerusalem to die. The title of my message today is Dying to Live. And what we're going to see here is death is a part of this passage. That in order for there to be life, according to this passage, there must first be death. 
So we're going to look at what that is. So here in this scene, we see these Greeks coming up and they come up to Philip. Now, a couple things here. First, this is the time of Passover. We don't know why the Greeks are here. They could be proselytes. They could be uh, uh, Greeks who have who have turned to worship the God of Israel. But we don't know that for sure. They could have just heard that Jesus is in town and we want to go see him. We don't know. But they've come and they want to see Jesus. Now they've come to Philip. We don't know why they came to Philip. They came to Philip and then Philip went to Andrew. I think Philip went to Andrew because Andrew tends to be the one to go to Jesus for certain things. But these Greeks, in verse 21, they said, we wish to see Jesus. Now, through this week of sermon prep, that's been my prayer for my own personal self. I want to see Jesus. Through this, through the sermon prep, through the study, through scripture reading, through devotion time, through ministry, through preaching, through family devotions, I want to see Jesus. Now, here, the Greeks have the, the, these guys have come up and they want to see Jesus. Now, they, they probably saw Jesus entering into Jerusalem. So what does it mean they want to see Jesus? They want to talk to him. They want to get to know him. They want to interview him. They want to see Jesus. Do you want to see Jesus, church? Do you want to see the Jesus of the Bible? And what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning is how the world has given us this false idea of who Jesus is. If you want to know who Jesus is, don't, don't, don't search for Jesus in the world. We search for Jesus in the Scriptures. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. So after... The Greeks come, and after Philip and Andrew approach Jesus, Jesus, it, it doesn't show in this passage that they were able to meet, like the Greeks and Jesus. It doesn't show that they were able to come together and talk, which is interesting. And I gather from that that it just doesn't matter. If it's not there, it doesn't really matter. But what matters is what Jesus said. And we, we're going to begin in verse 23. And Jesus answered them, the, the hour has come. Now, let's stop there for a couple minutes. Over the past 14 months that we've gone through the book of John, we've encountered a few passages where Jesus has said, my hour has not come. We saw it at the wedding feast when Mary approached him and wanted him to, turn, or to, to bring about some wine because they had run out. And Jesus said, woman, that was respectful at that time. Nowadays, that's not very respectful to say. But he said, woman, my time has not come. And then we saw a scene where the, uh, the, some guards had come to capture Jesus and Jesus was able to get away from it. Why? Because the scripture says his hour had not come. But now in John 12, after 14 months of looking through this, now his hour has come. I told y'all a couple weeks back, the, the rest of this book encounters about the next week of Jesus's life. So verse 23, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Here's the big idea for today's message. This is the, the, what I would like for you to walk away with. If somebody at lunch or at dinner or this week asked you, what would your pastor preach on? This is what I want you to say. Christ dies for us so that we may die to ourselves and live for Him. Christ dies for us so that we may die to ourselves and live for Him. This has been a heavy passage for me this week. I have had to personally do some self-examination of things I need to die to myself on. We're going to get to that here shortly. So first, I want to talk about how death, how death is necessary for life. How is death necessary for life? Well, let's look at number one, death of the Savior. In order for a Christian to encounter true life, there has to be death of a Savior. Now here we see that the time has come for Christ to fulfill His mission to die. That's why He came into Jerusalem. People were screaming, Hosanna. They were excited to see it. He's come to rescue us, to save us from Roman rule. Christ, His mission was not that. It was to come into Jerusalem and die. He has come to fulfill His mission to die so that the world can come to know and see Him. And this is why this is interesting right here. When the Greeks approach the disciples to see Jesus, and then Jesus says, now my time has come. Why? Because now, in order for the Greeks, the Gentiles, to have a true conversation with Jesus about who He is, He has to die. We see Old Testament, the covenant of works. We see this, this narrative of law. The Jews are the chosen people. But we see that the gospel is for all people, Jew and Gentile. And this is what Christ is saying. It's time for, this is the time for the new covenant. The covenant of grace. His death, as it shows us here, as the grain of wheat that falls and dies. How many in here garden? Did I say it right? Garden? I don't garden. I go to the grocery store. Or I just take y'all's fruits and veggies. Um, but what do you do with the seed? Plant it, right? What happens to the seed that's planted? If you treat it right and if, if the weather's cooperating... It grows. It's fruitful. What Jesus is showing us here is this grain of wheat that has to die and fall into the earth. It's then fruitful if it dies. If it doesn't die, it remains alone. Christ is saying, my death, I am to die to bear fruit. So let's look at what that fruit is. First, we can see Christ's death as our ransom. We can see Christ's death as our ransom. Mark 10, 45, Christ came to earth to offer His life as a ransom for many. 
He's our payment out of bondage to sin and shame. He's our payment that clears the wrath of God that is due to us. He is our ransom that covers the sacrifice needed for our forgiveness. When we look at Old Testament and and, and even right here at the time of the Passover, they had sacrifices. And I challenge you to read in the Old Testament law what these sacrifices looked like. It was gruesome. Gruesome. Bloody. And sacrifices were made for the forgiveness of people. But Christ, at this time of Passover, remember two weeks ago we talked about how when He's walking into Jerusalem on the donkey, possibly seeing the other lambs that were coming in to be slaughtered for sacrifices, for forgiveness. And, but Jesus is the great lamb, the great sacrifice, the once and for all. We see here that Christ has come to make the ultimate sacrifice. We know what sacrifice looks like, right? This past This past week, we celebrated the 75th anniversary of D-Day. We know what sacrifice looks like. We have loved ones who have served, who have given their lives for sacrifice, for the sake of our freedom. But you see, Christ's sacrifice here is the only sacrifice we need, the once and for all sacrifice to forgive us of our sin to cleanse us of our sin. So He's our ransom. Now, when we think of ransom, we think of paying a payment to a kidnapper, right? There was that old Mel Gibson movie, Ransom. I don't know if y'all remember that. Anyways, Mel Gibson's easily forgettable. Ransom is typically paid to a kidnapper or typically paid to somebody who's holding something in bondage, correct? Who is Christ paying a payment to? It's not to Satan. Christ is paying a payment to God. He's paying the payment that we owe to God. He's satisfying the wrath that is due to us. So we see, first, Christ's death as our ransom. Second, we see Christ's death has secured our redemption. Romans 3, 23 and 23. 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. There's that word propitiation. Don't be afraid of that word. It's a big word. But what it means is that He has satisfied the wrath of God. Christ redeems us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, by dying on the cross for our sins. He redeems us. He purchases us. Christ is dying to purchase a people of every nation to be His. It's the new covenant of grace here. He's dying so that these Greeks who want to come and see Him, who want to know Him more, can be saved and can truly know who He is. And not just these Greeks, but anybody from any tongue, any nation can come to know Jesus Christ because of what He's accomplished on the cross. 
And, and, and I want you to hear this because sometimes we can misconstrue who Jesus is just like these people. We have to understand Jesus came not to wear a crown, but to bear a cross. He came not to be served, but to serve. He came uh, to uh, bring about his kingdom through a crucifixion and not a coronation. He came to die so that people may live. And thirdly, we can see Christ's death has brought about reconciliation between us and God. Our sin has separated us from God and His payment has brought us back. We are reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in Him we might have a right standing before God. Because now when God sees you because of Christ, He doesn't see your sinfulness. He sees Christ and His blood and the payment He made. So first we see here in verse 23, we see that there is a death of the Savior. Verse 23 and 24. Second, second death, we see a dying to self. A dying to self. Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Let's talk about love and hate for a second. We can easily bring about what it means to love our lives, right? It means to love ourselves. It means to deny the sovereignty of God. It means to elevate ourselves within this life. When, when John's talking about whoever loves his life, he's talking about people who prefer their life, themselves, their kingdom over Christ. And when he's talking about whoever hates his life, he's not talking about as believers, we should be like, man, I really hate my life. That's not what he's saying. It's, it's about preference. Whoever prefers Christ over himself. And it's to be a preference that almost makes it look like we hate our life. So what does this look like? I, I had to wrestle with this. On this verse, what does it look like for the person to love his life that loses it and for the person to hate his life who gains eternal life? For the person who loves his life, they elevate themselves. I am God. I don't need God. The person who loves his life feels like that they can accomplish anything and everything on their own. The person who loves his life prefers his sin over God. What about the person who hates his life? The person who hates his life, according to this, is a person who elevates God over self. A person who elevates God's will over their life, God's kingdom over their kingdom. So what does that look like? First, it's a denying of the world. When we die to ourselves, we are denying the world. Romans 12, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. 
So if we're not to be conformed to the world, what are we to be conformed to? Romans 8. You were predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. We are not to be conformed to the world. We are to be conformed to Christ. We are to deny the world. Secondly, it's a defying of the devil. It's a defying of the devil. The devil, which nowadays, as you can see within the world, can seem like a joke. But we have to understand that the enemy, as what Scripture says, is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's dangerous. He's crafty. And the devil is going to do anything and everything to get in the middle of your life to ruin it, to either make you think you don't need God or to make you think you hate God. Scripture tells us that we are to resist the devil and he will flee. So how do we defy the devil? By meditating on his word. How do we counterattack the devil when he comes and tempts us? By memorizing scripture and having it in our artillery. We are to feed on God's word. So there's a denying of the world, then there's a defying of the devil. There's this video going around on Facebook. I don't know if you've seen it. I shared it this past week. And, and I kind of felt this way when I was in, in Haiti, but this was a more serious um, aspect. This, this missionary goes to China and he's in, he's in this hotel room and, and 22 uh, Chinese leaders of a, of a Christian church come up to his uh, hotel room and they go, you know, by twos so they don't cause a, a, a scene because in China, if you don't know, Christianity is illegal. They're up in, in his hotel room, hardwood floors, no air conditioning, and this guy is teaching them God's word eight to five. And I, it may have been Monday through Friday. It may have been a couple of days. It may have been one day. I don't know, but from eight to five, he's teaching them God's word. So he, he, there's 22 people. He's got 15 Bibles. He passes out these 15 Bibles, and some people are sharing. And he catches eyes with one lady who, who has the Bible, opens it up to the Scripture that was being read, and then she passes the Bible over to the person next to her. And the guy was kind of like, why'd she do that? And then he found out quickly that as he was reading Scripture, she was quoting it along with him. And so after the Bible study, he approaches her and he says, he says, ma'am, he says, how did you come to memorize scripture if y'all don't have Bibles? She said, prison. She said, sometimes the inmates will have a Bible. And so he's like, well, in a, in a Chinese prison, aren't Bibles confiscated? She said, yes. And that's when they pass around scripture on pieces of paper. And then he says, well, even if they find that, don't they confiscate that too? And she said, yes. That's why you memorize it quickly. And so at the end of that Bible study, they asked him to pray. They said, we see how the American church is in America. Free to worship on Sunday mornings. Free to gather. Seems like there's large numbers. They said, we want to pray that the Chinese church would be like the American church. And you know what he said? He said, I won't do that. He said, why not? He said, because in America, we have churches to where if there aren't soft cushion pews or, or, or air conditioning, people won't come. 
but yet you traveled 13 hours to sit in, in a hotel room with no AC and hardwood floors for, eight, for at least eight hours to hear God's Word. He said, if people in America, if they have to travel longer than an hour, they won't, they won't go. He said, people in America, they have Bibles, about two per family. And y'all rarely have the Scripture. But we don't read our Bibles. And y'all are meditating every verse y'all can get a hold of. He says, I'm not going to pray that the Chinese church becomes like the American church. I'm going to pray that the American church will become like the Chinese church. And I, I felt that when I was in Haiti. The men and the women that came to our, to, 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 to our leadership sessions traveled long distances, walked in the pouring rain, walked in the mud, did not care about any other characteristic except they wanted God's Word. And you want to know why the devil runs rampant throughout America? It's because we neglect that. We desire complacency and comfort. And if we don't have it, we don't want your Jesus. We are to defy the devil. So uh, dying to self is a denial of the world. It's defying the devil. And three is despising the flesh. What does that mean? We hate our sin. If God hates it, we should hate it. And guys, in America, and we're seeing it across the board, and it's depressing. This idea of, well, God loves and forgives, that's true. But if you are not denying the world, defying the devil, despising the flesh, how do you know God loves and forgives you? You're talking about a universalism. That's not what Scripture says. John 14 tells us that if you love me, this is Jesus, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. This is not a legalistic attitude. This is saying if you're truly saved, you're going to have a desire for Christ and a despising of the flesh. And the more you grow to love Christ, the more you will hate your sin. And number four, a, a dying to ourself is a delighting only in the Lord. To, to delight only in the Lord. Scripture tells us to delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. That's not prosperity. That's not saying if you delight in God, He'll give you what you want. That's saying if you delight in God, what is going to be the desire of your heart? God. And He'll give that to you. So we see the death of the Savior. We see a dying to self. And thirdly, we see a living for Jesus. All you OCD people probably freaking out that I'm not alliterated that third point. That's why I did that. It's a living for Jesus. Look at verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This comes, this follows after a dying to self. If we die to ourself and if we die to our sin... We're only going to want to live for Christ. We're only going to want to live for Him. And we live for Him by serving, loving, 
obeying Scripture, and we serve Him by following. Serving and following. It says it right there. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And church, let me tell you, we do not serve Christ so that we can have the gifts and the blessings. We serve Christ so we can have Christ. And so when we step before the Father, when we die and we're before Him and we're being judged, like Scripture says, we will be judged. For those who have died to self and have lived for Jesus, the Father will honor you. Man, can you imagine? Can you imagine after living this a life in this world that is full of sin, that is full of destruction, that is full of chaos, living and following Christ? And when we get to God, and He looks at us and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Can you imagine what that's going to feel like? Church, I don't know where you are this morning. But I've told you lately that following Christ is going to look weirder and weirder as the world continues. We're going to be set apart, as Scripture says, we're going to be persecuted, as Scripture says. People are not going to like you because of your stance on Christ. But would you rather forsake the world and have Jesus or forsake Jesus and have the world? C.S. Lewis said it great one time. He said, hell is the closest, uh, he said, earth is the closest thing to hell that any, any believer will experience and is the closest thing to heaven that any unbeliever will experience. Think about that. Do you want this world or do you want Jesus? I'm going to close with this illustration. Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. I've read it, I read it twice this year. I, I read it one for our men's group in the church that, that, that meet, and then I read it again for, our, for my class in personal spiritual disciplines at Southern Seminary. And it has become my all-time favorite book of all time. Again, all-time favorite book of all time. Um, it's fantastic. It, it made me weep. It made me rejoice. I just loved it. But there's one scene in, in the book where this guy named Christian is on a pilgrimage to the, to the eternal city, okay? And he's got his backpack, and it's weighing him down, all right? And it, it's all allegorical. And so he finally gets to the cross, okay? This is his pilgrimage, his life pilgrimage. He gets to the cross and he sees the cross. And he realizes what Christ has done for him. He recognizes who Jesus is. He has forsaken the world because he wants Jesus. And what happens? That weighted backpack of his sin and shame falls off. And he's released from that no longer has to carry that because he has died to himself and has rested in the work of Christ. So church, this morning, are you carrying sin in your life that you need to die to? Are you carrying things in your life that you need to be rid of because it's against God and His Word? Do you, have you ever given your life to Jesus? Maybe that's something we should talk, talk about. 
Church, we are called, because Christ gave His life for us, we are called to die to ourselves and live for Him. And I pray that you are doing that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for who You are. God, we thank You for the work that You accomplished on the cross that we can rest in. God, we thank You for saving us for those in this room who are saved. We thank You for transforming us. But God, we thank You most of all for sending Your Son to die for our sins. A payment that we did not deserve to be given, to be covered. We deserved to pay. But Christ covered it for us. Thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody in here that needs to forsake the world to turn to You, I pray that You would help them see that. We thank You, God, for who You are. In Your Son's precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.